Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Nick Hutchinson. He's a business owner, a podcaster and an author. Our conversation went in a completely different direction than I anticipated. I have prepared a bunch of questions and I barely used them, but I think it is all for the better. I had a total blast and I believe you will too. Expect to learn how to negotiate reality, why you should get that tattoo you really, really want, and well, how to find happiness in gratitude and a lot more. Before we start, however, I just want to mention to you my newsletter. Would you mind getting a short email from me that is packed with goodies, value and a bunch of cool stuff I recently learned? Easy to sign up, easy to cancel and absolutely free. With a bonus of only 5 minutes of reading time. So, if you'd like to receive value for free, go to totetop.how/newsletter. Again, that's totetop.how/newsletter. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nick Hutchinson. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the podcast. Mike, I'm excited to be here. Can I ask you the first question today? Oh, sure. Go on. <laughs> what is the best book that you read last year, since you said you're a big reader? Yeah, I am. Well, the best book I've read last year, hmm. let's think. Um, there were business books, but also the sort of self-improvement and more spiritual books. Um, well, that's a hard one. <laughs> Honestly, but um, I think I'll go with uh, Russell Brunson's the uh, second book, The Expert Secrets, because it was so sort of touching. I I I, um, I got it on so many levels, both business and sort of um, I got to know his side from both ends, like both business and family and all of that. Because I really like his books. Um, he writes in this sort of simple language so that you can understand everything and you get to know how to write better stories, how to um, just engage with your audience more. And I've learned so much from just those three books. Uh, it is worth more than all the courses combined that I ever bought. Yes, uh, Russell Brunson is a master at what he does, that's for sure. And uh, I have a funny story about Russell. Just This just shows you how valuable his stuff really is. So a couple of years ago, one of my friends reached out and he said, Nick, I'm hosting a conference and I would love to, as part of the conference, I'm going to have an upsell from the stage and I'm studying Russell Bronson. And what I want to include is a Q&A for anybody that buys into this group with Russell. He's like, can you make the ask? I said, well, what do you want to offer him? Because I can't just reach out and say, will you do a free Q&A? He's not going to say yes. And he said, well, let's offer him $5,000 for a 30-minute call. And I said, okay, I'll reach out and I'll ask. Is that the best we could do? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, all right, I'll ask. So Russell replies like immediately. And he says, hey, man, just so you know, I charge $250,000 for a 30-minute virtual call. So $5,000 is not going to move the needle for me. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. oh, wow. Uh, Russell Brunson charges $250,000 for a 30-minute virtual call that's crazy yeah. uh, but listen he deserves it because he's worth every single penny exactly he does uh just reading his books and all the stuff that he did starting from scratch at 23 selling uh the potato gun <laughs> and just moving to click funnels and doing all those big events and now his uh the next project that he works on is the sort of atlas library have you heard about it oh yeah yeah i have um absolutely and I think it's amazing. I can't wait to go visit one day. And he's got this whole secrets of success platform and community. And he actually sent me all the new books. Wow. Um, yeah. So 
I'm excited to go through like the never before seen Napoleon Hill stuff and some of that material. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was on the uh, live event there and he showed the uh, Napoleon Hill, those original books, sort of original drafts. And it was, wow, it's, it's amazing. Stuff. Yeah, he paid a million dollars for one of them, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> well, given that, he's worth around like nine figures or even more. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and speaking of books, you have a lot of books behind you. So I do. Uh, can you tell a little story about well, your collection? Sure. Well, when I was growing up, just like you, I, I wasn't much of a reader. Uh, I wasn't into personal development or business or anything like that. I was more of the athlete stereotype, not really much of the academic. So when I was in high school, I played American football. I wrestled. Um, I cared a lot about sports, not really much about reading. You couldn't pay me to read a book. I mean, I, I didn't think it was cool and I wanted to be cool. And a lot of that behavior, that attitude, the arrogance followed me through most of my college experience, my university experience as well. I went to business school, uh, which by the way, sounds fancier than it was. It was the easiest degree that you could get <laughs> in the college that I went to. And so I still, I spent a lot of my time in the gym, in the dining hall, hanging out with my friends, having a drink. Like I wasn't really interested in school, but I took an internship, uh, sort of an unpaid, well, I was paid a little bit, but a, a small job going into my senior year of college, right before graduation. And my boss at the time, Kyle, he said, Hey Nick, uh, you're driving one hour each way, five days a week. It's 10 hours in the car. He said, listening to the same song, the same playlist for the 300th time, it's not going to get you closer to where you want to be in life. But the right podcast might. And so he introduced me to podcasts. This was 2015. And so I started listening to podcasts on my way to and from work. And all of these shows were kind of formatted like this, right? A Q&A where a host would interview a series of guests and the guests would talk about what they did to become successful. And very quickly, I realized that either A, most of these people were giving credit to the books that they read for their success, or B, they had written books themselves. And so I just started to realize that books, books, that's the magic portal into success. Like, how, how can I start to absorb this information? And I heard the same names over and over and over again. Everybody started with Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, or Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, or the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, and a few more. And so I went to my local bookstore one day and I grabbed a stack of books and the rest is history. I mean, for the last 10 years now, I've been reading anywhere between 50 to 100 books per year. And like we've talked about, now I have a podcast where I interview a lot of these famous authors and I get to help build their brands and support their businesses. We do book promotions and all sorts of things. And so that's kind of how my journey started. It was, it was, uh, I went from a non-reader to a reader almost overnight. Well, I can relate to that story, honestly. Uh, when I was younger, all I read was the sort of uh, books for children and maybe some Harry Potter or The Witcher from time to time. But then when I hit 20 and I started watching all those YouTubers and listening to the podcast, um, everyone was talking about books and everyone was recommending something. And I almost one summer I have read 10 books just just because <laughs> yeah what were some of your first books uh one of my first books uh, it was the way of the superior man by david dida um the compound effect by darren harvey hardy hardy yeah, yeah. sure um uh, the laws of seduction by robert greeny um the russell Brunson books of course 
Um, and I've had some, something else on my shelf back then, but I don't quite remember. I have all the books right there, <laughs> if you can see them. Yeah, well, hey, listen, those are some amazing books. And Robert Greene, he's been on on my podcast before. Yeah, he's an I amazing guy. And, and um, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy is one of my all-time favorite books. I mean, that that book sums up what I think most people are missing, which is that small steps in the right direction over a long period of time will lead to success. And all of the people that we've been talking about from Alex Hormozzi to Cardone to all of those guys that we we're talking about before we press record, Russell Brunson, they all leverage the compound effect, small steps in the right direction day in and day out. Think about Grant Cardone. He's in his mid sixties. Nobody knew who he was 15 years ago, but he was working really hard every single day, day in and day out. Right? So what we see today is like this, superhero entrepreneur with billions of dollars in his portfolios and then we forget that it took years and years and years of building before it reached to that point and uh yeah there's that that's such a great book exactly and also right now um well even recently i have had this sort of uh, weird feeling in my belly <laughs> because i listened to a podcast uh with daniel presley i believe yeah and there was this title uh he earned millions of dollars at the age of 21 and I'm 21 <laughs> and well, I don't have a million dollars <laughs> and it sort of uh, went on my ambition a little. And then I remembered Alex Hormozzi, uh, of, of course, his wisdom <laughs> is with me all the time. People overest overestimate what they can do in uh, two years and underestimate what they can do in a decade. So um, I hold on to that thought and well, one step at a time. Yeah. And, and for every person that makes millions of dollars at 21, there's millions of people who didn't but tried right and they might make millions later in life but it's an unrealistic expectation it, it's it's a one in thousands of situations happens like that you know so yeah don't beat yourself up alex hormozzi slept on a gym floor yeah, right I remember know. that so that that's kind of how i think about it exactly that and also your business you're doing something pretty interesting and well uncommon i would believe uh, because you're doing pr book promotions, right? And maybe you can uh, yes. talk about your business right now. Well, once when I started reading books, none of my friends or family, none of them were really into this type of stuff. And so I started sharing the books I was reading online on Instagram and other social platforms as a way to connect with like-minded people and see what else was out there. I had some ideas for monetization that didn't really work out. Um, but what did happen was authors started to reach out to me and they would say, Hey Nick, I like your book promotions. I just saw one about a Robert Greene book. Um, he's one of my favorite authors. Can I pay you to review my book? And I thought, well, that's interesting. I hadn't previously considered that, right? <laughs> Getting paid to review books on social media. So I tried it out and I found out that I really loved the experience because I was reading material that I would not have necessarily chosen to read. And then I was presenting it. I was teaching it to my audience, which is one of the best forms of learning. And then as a result, the authors would share the book review with their audience and I would attract some of their audience and my, my following would get bigger and bigger. So I think on Instagram today, we have about 160,000 followers and it's a result of paid book reviews, getting paid to read and review books. And as I'm reading business books, I'm learning that you need to follow up with these people and you need to see what else you can help with. 
and then you need to try it out. And if it works, offer it as a service. And by the way, if there's inbound demand for something, that means that if you go outbound and you start reaching out to authors, I bet a lot of them would try it out too. So through the years, just through repetition and changing things around, you know, my business has grown and grown. Today, I have 10 people on my team and we support hundreds of authors a year, helping them promote and market their books by helping them with social media content, getting booked on podcasts, uh, book reviews, you know, putting them in front of our audience, interviewing them on our podcast. And it's a really fun business because like I said, I was not a reader until the age of 20. I never thought I would build a business around reading, but it brings me so much fulfillment when I make a book recommendation or I help an author get in front of a bigger audience. And then people say, Hey, this just changed my life. Like, it's so cool that that actually happens. I can get a glimpse of that feeling that you're saying. Yeah. And you said you only have 10 people on your team. So that's, that's pretty amazing yeah. for a lot of authors you, you help. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We've got 10 people on the team. We help hundreds of authors a year and uh, the business is growing, but you know, I'm, this is a mistake I made. I'll just share with you, Mike, when I was 20, 21, I thought that success was financial success. It's all I thought about. If somebody had a lot, of, a lot of money, I looked up to them. And then I started to realize over time, as I read books, uh, entrepreneurship biographies, biographies, as I started to get to meet these people, that money definitely, it can create success. I believe that. But it doesn't equal success. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't equal success. Only if you have this like kind of holistic sense of success, are you actually happy and successful? Like if you're rich, but you're not healthy and you have terrible relationships, I have no respect for you. <laughs> like you're, I can learn from you. There's a lot of, a lot that you can learn from somebody who's made a lot of money because those are skills and you can, you can pick and choose what you want to adapt or want to implement. But if you're rich, and you're unhealthy or you're rich and you have terrible relationships. I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> you need all three in, from my perspective in order to have a sustainable form of happiness. And so, yeah, um, the money piece is great, but like what I'm optimizing for is enjoying my time. And that means I only want to be around certain types of people. And, you know, my entire team at Book Thinkers is kind of built out of people that I really love being around that push me to be better and ask great questions and love books and and they're all healthy and they're all happy and that's what matters, you know? Yeah, well, that's a blessing and I absolutely agree with you that, well, you shouldn't just copy uh, the rich people because, well, uh, there was something on Joe Rogan's podcast recently when Elon Musk came in and... Um, well, people were talking that they so so want to be Elon right now. And he said, well, you wouldn't because they don't, they don't understand how many problems, how many thoughts are rushing through his head. And um, well, also on Chris Williamson's podcast, there's uh, more, and more, more and more about this right now because people think they want to be someone else. They want to have their success. They want to have their riches and all of that. But they do not realize that, well, if you want to be someone else, you'll be exactly like them. You'd have their riches, but you'll also have their, have their problems, their struggles, and their history. Well, happy or not. So. Yeah. And by the way, I love I love all of those podcasts that you just mentioned. And uh, yeah, I listen. Elon, Walter Isaacson just put out a new biography about Elon this year, and 
if you had to endure failed rocket launches over and over and over again, every single day you're reading trash about you in the media, people hate you. Um, hundreds and hundreds of employees are depending on you and you're consistently failing over and over and over again. Like that's what Elon went through. And even an extreme, an extremely tough personality would fail in that circumstance. And Elon chose to endure it and go through it. And yeah, you're right. It takes a special type of person. And I think right now he's, uh, he's starting to achieve a little bit more balance in terms of like, he seems to be spending a lot of time with his family and, he was quoted, I think, on the Rogan podcast saying that there's no better joy in life than having kids and being able to spend time with them. So it's great to see that after 40 years of craziness and trouble, like he's he's finally starting to get some of that. And yeah, he's worth $200 billion, but like, would you want to manage multiple billion dollar companies and have that many demands on your time? Like, probably not. I know I don't want that. Yeah, me too. And are you planning to have kids in the near future? Yes, yes. Yeah, I just turned 30. Oh. I got married last year. Oh, congratulations. And we, yeah, thank you so much. And we are planning to have kids in the next couple, yeah, hopefully the next couple of years. Great, great to hear that. Um, okay, so, um, so <clears throat> uh, with the rise of self-improvement and this sort of trend to write books, to make self-improvement videos, all of that. Do you think that the quality of the content right now is sort of plummeting? That's a good question. Yes, I do. And I think it's because these social algorithms are optimizing for the wrong thing. They're optimizing for engagement. In a, entertainment is so much more engaging than education. And so I think right now, a lot of the self-improvement content, like as a creator, I understand this problem. You want to provide genuine education. You want to teach your audience. You want to be of real value. And you're being forced to do it in less than 30 seconds. And you're competing against people who are making content that's negative and divisive and emotional and funny. And all of those things are so much more engaging enticing than an educational video. And so, yeah, I think that the quality of the content is going down a little bit. And then, you know, on our team, we have to have the conversation, like how much entertainment do we layer into our content so that it doesn't dry up and die? You know, like I care so much more about being of service and, and of actual value to my community than I care about entertaining anybody, but you have to play the game a little bit if you want to stay relevant, which is a weird thing to have to deal with, you know? What about you? What do you think? Oh, well, me too, likewise. Because um, I have been following the self-improvement space for a, or for a long while. And right, I've seen all of it, honestly, <laughs> right now, uh, from Hamza to uh, all other self-improvement YouTubers. And I've seen the shift and also sort of um, the content repetition because, well, there's only so much stuff you can talk about before you, well, you need to repeat yourself. Um, and also, uh, as you said, uh, people are leaning towards, uh, well, being entertained and engaged because, well, we love emotions, we love dopamine, we love all that stuff. And um, do you follow Mr. Beast from time to time? Maybe you... I do. Yes. Yeah. So can you see the difference between his video and just, let's say, a random podcast? It's so much like dopamine infused. There are 
like <laughs> bombs go out. There's people shouting. Tanks are just riding over each other. It's so much. It's wild, honestly. And <laughs> it is wild. And you know, my I don't consume a lot of Mr. Beast's content. Yeah, well, me neither. But, but what I love is. Like he was interviewed on Rogan and Lex Friedman. And those conversations are so valuable because they're educational. They're not really entertaining. You know, he's he's telling his story. He's talking about how he's achieved so much. He's giving you actionable insights behind the scenes. He's revealing things. And it's not, it's dry content. Like you, you could hear Mr. Beast on the Rogan interview or the Lex interview, I forget which one, constantly being like, oh, well, people are probably swiping off right now. I... Like he couldn't get it out of his head. He was like, oh, well, I mean, good question, Lex, but people don't, I don't know if people actually want to hear this. Like they're probably going to swipe away. And it's like, no, people do want to hear this. This is, this is long form content. It's different. People want the valuable educational stuff. Um, and it's, it's weird, you know, and then he'll spend a million dollars on a video and like, how's the average podcaster supposed to compete with that? Well, exactly. And well, Jimmy outside the, well, his channel, his well, I think he's a very intelligent guy because he knows what he's doing. He has this sort of strategic, strategic and tactical mind to the whole YouTube game and his businesses. Uh, well, maybe right now with uh, the Beast Burgers and all the chain restaurants, there are uh, some problems, <laughs> let's say. Uh, but his um, uh, second company, The Feastables, I think it's a great thing because he's just uh, marching uh, in front of the, all those giants like Hershey's and other chocolate companies in the US. And I think it's, he is doing something great, honestly, <laughs> as a kid who uh, grew up eating sweets and all, the, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think he's a really smart guy and he knows what he's doing. But as you said, um, well, average podcaster cannot just keep up with millions of dollars spent on a video, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, Mr. Beast employs, I think, what did he say, 150 people right now? So it's a big business, that's for sure. Yeah, and I once heard that um, he has this sort of routine when he goes to his home. He has this, uh, the whole apartment set up from left to right, and he's just circling around it. Like He's working, eating, uh, doing a break, something, some, he reads something, washes the dishes, and goes out again. <laughs> I respect that, and, and if he... If he enjoys that, then then great for him. You know, I I don't think that now I'm very disciplined because I do think that like Jocko Willink says, discipline equals freedom. It creates freedom. You know, if you have eight hours of work and you do it in six hours, you create a lot of free time. But if you're lazy and you're scrolling on your phone and it takes you 10 hours to do it, that's a four hour difference, right? So I think discipline and routine can be great, but it definitely has a tipping point where too much of it, too much optimization kind of detracts from enjoying your life. And so, yeah, I, that, that, that sounds intense. Although if I had that much money, would I design a life where I could just move in a circle all day? I don't know. Maybe it'd be, it'd be kind of fun to try out. Well, you need to respect the grind. <laughs> yes. Mr. Beast. But what you said again about, um, well, sort of doing too, too much of discipline and the routines and productivity. Also, Chris Williamson said about it, um, there's sort of this productivity purgatory. And it just becomes so productive, you, um, you optimize too much of your life and you do not get much enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the Alex Hormozzi philosophies that I don't enjoy. Because like, Ale you know, Alex and Chris are buddies and Alex, there are so many clips out there where he talks about like happiness is not realistic and that he's not happy and he doesn't even think about happiness. It's not, 
It's not something that he wants to think about. And I would argue that you can be happy. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I love my life. I'm excited every day. And I achieved that after reading and implementing hundreds of books and building my own business and designing the circle of people around me and spending a lot of time on mindfulness and thinking about happiness, journaling every single day, gratitude. I mean, I've, I've literally tattooed my whole body with positive wow. affirmations. It's like, wow. I, I genuinely believe that you can be happy and that you should be happy. I think it's the default human state. I think that when you subtract out all the social media and the nonsense and you get back to the basics, like you can feel really good about that. And so anyway, yeah, there, there are a lot of distractions. Like for me, progress is one of the variables that creates happiness. When I'm improving my health, my wealth, my happiness, my relationships, my spirituality, that creates joy and joy creates happiness for me. And, uh, you know, so it's not this like Zen state where you just sit around and do nothing all day, but like it's a, it's a productive, active form of joy. And uh, I've heard, I, I wish I, on my podcast with Alex, I wish that we dove into that a little bit because, you know, I've just, I, I love so much of what he puts out there for business content. And I'm just like, why would you ever encourage people not to be happy? You know, so that bugs me sometimes. Well, I get it. Um, well, I think happiness is subjective, honestly. Um, maybe Alex finds happiness in what, what he's doing, but he doesn't realize it, but he just wants to go for yeah, right. and provide value. So uh, that keeps him going, then maybe he is happy with what he's doing. Yeah, he just needs to say that. <laughs> There's no <laughs> sense in saying anything else, right? So like, why would you ever argue for a reality where you're not happy? Well, yeah, <laughs> I get that. Uh, well, you said you have a, your whole body tattooed with positive affirmation. So how did that happen? Well, that's a good question. When I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to have tattoos. You know, my parents, and I love them to death. But my parents, when I was younger, they said, if you get tattooed, you, ha you have to move out of the house. Like, wow. we're not allowed to be tattooed in this house. And uh, funny, just funny, different perspective. Both of my parents have tattoos now. So that just shows <laughs> how, how much people can change. Um, I started to get tattoos when I was in my early 20s. And... I realized that you see tattoos, depending on where they are in your body, anywhere from a few times a day to hundreds of or thousands of times per day. And as I started to read about neuro-linguistic programming, about rewiring your brain, about positive NLP stuff, I realized that like positive motivational artwork or books on your wall or trinkets on your desk or trophies, like they reinforce positive thinking they remind you of the path you're on and the journey you, you know you're on and i i just thought you know maybe if i tattoo some of these messages and i see them thousands a day you know times per day they'll become a default for me and so i, I started trying it out really um one of the first ones that i got are the numbers one two and three on my wrist okay. i'll have to yeah. kind of move yeah, I, I see and i got it because after reading Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, he analyzes hundreds of world-class performers in that book, and he looks for common threads. And one of the major common threads was that most of these high performers, whether it's business or athletics or spirituality, it didn't really matter. They all practice some form of mindfulness, meditation, gratitude. 
And so I started to do a deep dive on gratitude and I realized all of the benefits of practicing gratitude on a daily basis. The key is that gratitude is not an outcome of happiness. It is the predictor of happiness. It's an action that you take. And so I started journaling three things that I was grateful for every single day. And over the first couple of months, I didn't really notice much of a difference. But after that, I started to look for opportunities to express gratitude throughout the day, which was something that I had never done prior to the age of 21, 22. But I knew that I would have to write about three things the next day that I was grateful for. And because it was, it was becoming ingrained in me that like a Lamborghini could fly by me on the highway. And instead of going, oh, I wish I had a Lamborghini, I would go, you know what? I'm so grateful that I have a car. Like so many people don't have a car. I have a car. I'm so grateful for it. That sounds funny, but that literally became a default way of thinking for me. And when gratitude fills your space, there's no space for anything else. You can't have a feeling of lack when you have a feeling of gratitude, which is like a feeling of have. So anyway, it made such a big impact on me. I got the numbers one, two, and three tattooed on my wrist, and I would see it thousands of times per day. It's right in front of me all the time. And now ever since that moment, ever since this tattoo, I have never gone back. I've, I've never felt like I don't have what I need, you know? Um, if somebody, if I see somebody at 21 makes millions and millions and millions of dollars, and now here I am, I'm, I'm 30 and I'm not, I didn't have that success when I was 21. Like, I don't think about it in a negative way anymore. I'm like, good for that person. Like we should celebrate them for a minute, you know? Uh, anyway, gratitude's changed my life. And by the way, I have tattoos over, I have like almost 40 probably now, Wow. but I have memento mori tattooed on my neck. Remember your own mortality. It reminds me to prioritize my time. We're all going to die. I have reality is negotiable on this wrist. It reminds me to fight the notion that we all have to live the same life and fit in society's box. In fact, I can design a life that's uniquely fulfilling to me. I have ataraxia, which is an ancient Greek word that means stillness. And so if I'm ever feeling emotional, and I need to step back into a place of logic, I can look down at the tattoo and think about it. And I have dozens more examples, but yeah, I see these tattoos all the time. They're play bigger triggers. They're environmental cues that reinforce positive behavior and positive thinking and positive psychology. And that's why I do it. That is very powerful. And well, I think we should we could go on and on about your tattoos because I think uh, you should get a tattoo if you really want it to signify something, to stand for something, to remind you of an event or a behavior you should uh, foster. But uh, I think a lot of people just sort of um, misuse tattoos. They just want them to look nice, but I think it's not the purpose. Um, well, I with my parents, I have maybe the similar thing that you have. <laughs> Tattoos were not allowed, especially with my dad, because I think he would just get so mad at me, he uh, would throw me out of the house. <laughs> But that, I mean, that's what they said to me, too. And now they're both tattooed, you know, everybody's brain can change. Sometimes it takes a little while. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. I never really thought, thought about getting it, getting it too, but um, if I would once, um, I think I would get some sort of uh, little markings on my arm, sort of the favorite genres, favorite uh, books or games or every sort of uh, pop culture or classic culture uh, icon that changed my life a little or even a lot. So that was my idea for a tattoo. <laughs> Do it. Why not? <laughs> you can hide it. Just wear long sleeves when you're around your dad. I, I, I would, <laughs> if I did that, I wouldn't want to hide it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, one thing that, that it took 
One thing that I, I think my parents realized once I got tattooed is that it didn't change me. In fact, it made me better and more confident. And it gave me opportunities to talk about certain things that I wasn't normally talking about. And they realized over time, like, I didn't change. I'm still the same person. Yeah, I grew up in a religious family. I'm still religious. And I remember going to my church, a Catholic church, the first time with my tattoos out and my priest stopping and asking me about them. And I have a few different crosses tattooed. I have some Bible verses as well. And I remember him saying, you know, I think that's pretty cool. He said, I wear my crosses on my robes. You wear your crosses on your skin. We're both preaching the same message. We're just representing it in a different way. And, and I think that's really cool. And I was like, nice. You know, so some of the places that I feared the most criticism have actually become the most welcoming. I just had to overcome the resistance a little bit. I think that's really reassuring and uh, for some people that may listen to this and they are uh, figuring out if they will, should get a tattoo or not, what would their parents say or uh, their community or their friends. So uh, well, go with the flow if that makes you happy. Go with the flow. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, you said you are religious and my question is uh, throughout your life, maybe through reading those spiritual books or different self-improvement books, um, have you ever sort of view on religion or belief or those kinds of spiritual things changed ever or have you ever questioned that that's a really great question uh and i don't i don't get asked about it a lot so i don't have i don't have a very articulate way to answer this but let's explore it in real time together so when i was younger i went through the standard kind of catholic upbringing, going to church every Sunday, then you go to CCD and then you get confirmed. And, and, you know, most kids my age growing up where I grew up, they stopped going to church right after that. But I felt, uh, I felt a sense of peace and belonging when I would go to a church and attend mass and pray before I go to sleep. And when I wake up, I felt a sense of peace. And so I continued I went to church on and off throughout my entire college experience. And, you know, there were definitely periods of time where maybe I didn't go to a mass for a year and then I would kind of go back, but I would always continue to pray and view things through a Christian lens. And then I started to read about all types of religions and spiritual philosophies. And I would say some things have definitely changed. Uh, I am curious more than anything. You know, I've read... I've read books uh, on, like I said, all types of different religions or spiritual points of view. I've read books written by people who are diehard atheists. I've read books by people who practice other religions and would die on their own form of a cross, you know, defending those religions. Um, I even, I've read all types of philosophy books as well. And here's what I'll say, my, my kind of thought process is today. If you can live by your own form of ethical commandments, wherever they come from, it doesn't really matter. And you can believe in something more than yourself. That's a sustainable place to be. You end up being a good person. You could be a Muslim. You could be Hindu. You could be Christian. You could be Jewish. You could be nothing. But if you adhere to some type of external spirituality and force and, and you believe in the goodness of a human being and, you know, you believe it's bad to murder somebody else and you believe it's good not to do that and you have a code of ethics, then you can live in a sustainably positive place. But the minute that you toss out belief, 
I won't say religion because I do think that religion has done a lot of bad things. <laughs> well. You know, even my own, even my own religion. You know, um, the Catholic Church is responsible for for a lot of destruction over the years. That's for sure. But I still find a lot of peace going to church. Um, I think that if you toss out belief, then that's a scary place to be. You fall into other forms of ideology that aren't sustainable. You know, people put their belief in a sports team and the sports team loses and then their entire life is over. They put their belief into a political party and then they realize it was all a scam and now their entire life is over. They put their belief into a certain diet and then it's proven wrong by science and their entire life is over. And they, they believe things that can be proven wrong. And that's a scary place to be. Now call it blissfully ignorant, call it whatever you want, but my belief is in something that can't really be proven wrong, can't be proven right either, but that's part of the magic, is that even if my house burns down and my family dies, there's still something there that I can turn to, that I can default to, which is a belief in something that, again, cannot be proven wrong or right. And to me, that's comforting. Because again, it, it creates sustainability, which is and peace, which are some of the things that I, I focus on and optimize for. And when you toss all of that away, like Hormozzi has studied Christianity more than almost anybody, and he ended up on the side of not believing. Well, then you get people who say that they don't want to be happy and that that's not realistic. But I'm like, I'd, I'll choose the reality where I'm happy over the one that I'm not happy. Does that all, does it, did all that kind of tie together? <laughs> I think it does. It does. Um, well, when I was younger, I was religious because well, my f- parents sort of forced me to go to church and then I sort of uh, went a little away from that. I'm not a believer right now, uh, but my point of view on religion is not um, uh, hateful or anything. I believe that for some people, uh, if they have everything well, settled out in their lives, um, all the well, financial issues, love issues, they have everything they, they, they have, honestly, they can. Um, there's always this sort of feeling that there is something lacking. And well, religion can just give you this something, this sort of little reassurance that there is something there that is powerful than you. And well, you shouldn't be that much of a well, know it all, <laughs> boasting guys, something like that. Uh, it gives you reassurance that. Well, there is higher power and there are higher beings there and uh, well you should keep that in mind sort of it humbles you in a way and through that makes you happy because it fulfills this little void that can be created when you literally have everything you, you want to yeah i think so too and uh you know if, if people i don't know if one day i'll say i'm re- i'm spiritual and not religious like today i'll still say i'm i'm religious but curious uh, of other religions and other ways of thinking, you know, I've played around a little bit with, with psychedelics. And it's like, when you, when you go through one of those experiences, it's hard to believe that this is the only physical reality. And like, it forces you, even if it's not through the lens of a specific religion doctrine, like it forces you to think outside of the box a little bit. And you kind of, you go, you know what, maybe we're, maybe we don't have it all figured out as humans. Maybe, Maybe I shouldn't be a know-it-all. Maybe there's something greater that I don't understand. You know, it's it is humbling. Yeah, but I like to be humbled. I think it's healthy to be humbled. Yeah, a good day. A good day. uh, What is that saying? It's like 
a good day for the uh, a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul or something like that that's powerful <laughs> yeah it really is i agree with that completely okay uh, i have sort of uh, two uh, connected questions to you first is if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self that was just well beginning in their business self-improvement the whole journey um what would it be patience which is so hard to hear when you're 20 or 21 years old but patience all of the work that i was doing at that age there was so much uncertainty around it is it all going to work out is all of this work for nothing should i be defaulting back into society's box should i give up should i go back to the standard focus on a nine to five all those like limiting beliefs that i had back then just patience if you continue to read and implement great personal development books or youtube videos or podcasts it will work out patience yeah that's that's the message that I give. Okay. Now, the second question is, I want you to put yourself in the future, like let's say you're 80 or so, and what would that Nick tell today's Nick? I, I, I think about that a lot. Deathbed visualizations. In my book, Rise of the Reader, I wrote about a few different deathbed visualizations. And, and again, I have Memento Mori tattooed on my chest. Remember, you're going to die. So I, I try to live my present moment right now through old eyes. Does it make sense? Like, live in the present moment today, but always be cognizant of what that person at 80 years old would be saying to me right now. So if I'm 80 years old, what's my advice to 30 year old Nick? I think it's optimize for the right things. Enjoying the passage of time. That's, that's it for me. It's like, what does that mean? It means I need to be healthy, wealthy, happy, have great relationships, and genuinely enjoy what I'm doing. That's how you enjoy the passage of time. And there are a whole bunch of layers under that, but that's the advice is, hey, don't forget to enjoy the passage of time. One of my favorite books is called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. And she was an end of life palliative care nurse. She would spend the last couple of weeks or months with somebody as they died. And she would spend a lot of time talking to these people and they had a lot of regrets a top five as it comes, as it comes to be. And the number one was that people lived lives based on other people's expectations of them instead of their own. That could be what their parents wanted for them, like no tattoos instead of the tattoo that they always wanted. And then they come to realize it was meaningless and they could have just done it anyway and not thought about it. Or it could be a job that they've always wanted to pursue, but society forced them in a different direction. Like, there are a lot of different ways that, that manifests itself. Relationships people don't want to be in, but they stay, all kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's that's the advice is optimize for the right things. And the right thing is enjoy the passage of time. Do what you truly want to do and nothing else. That is beautiful, honestly. Um, well, we should all sort of do this exercise to put ourselves in the future because well, we are our, our best coaches and uh, well, there's always a powerful thought, powerful thing that we should focus on. Okay, and uh, one of the last questions, um, there's a sort of tradition on the podcast right now. So what is your one favorite quote from a historical figure or a celebrity or anyone for that matter that changed your life the most? I have a lot of favorite quotes. I mean, the one on my wrist, Reality is Negotiable, that was written by Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour Workweek. 
and I think it's changed my life the most. You know, I, I believe after reading this 10 bazillion times that I'm capable of bending reality and designing the, whatever I'd like to in life. You know, like I mentioned to you earlier, I got married last year. We're going to start a family soon. I have my own business. I get to choose what to do with my time. We get to travel the world. My wife and I have visited 25 different countries over the last five years, sometimes for up to a few months at a time. We have all these fun experiences and like, that's what life is about, enjoying life. And the only way that you get there is you have to resist society's expectations and you have to build a path of your own. And uh, unless society's expectations are exactly what you want, which is pretty rare, I'd say. That pathway tends to lead to a lot of regret. <laughs> Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts. Reality is negotiable. Tim Ferriss. Nick Hutchison, ladies and gentlemen. Nick, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I had a whole list of questions prepared and I used basically none of them, <laughs> but I think it still went great. And where should people go if they want to find out more about you and harass you in all the, all the way? Well, listen, Mike, one, one of my favorite things to do for people is provide a custom book recommendation because the book that I just wrote, Rise of the Reader, is all about using books to design your dream life. And the reason that I wrote this book is because I've seen books change more lives than just about any other form of learning. And books are special for a lot of different reasons, which I go into in the book. Um, but sometimes people want to know where to start. And so if anybody wants to get a custom book recommendation from me, just direct message me on Instagram at bookthinkers, that's our largest community. And tell me about a problem you're facing or a skill set that you want to develop or an area of the world that, that you're curious about. And I'll provide a custom book recommendation to you. So that's where people can go. They can go to Instagram. And from there, there are links in the bio to just about everything else. I will link all of them in the description. So Nick, thank you for coming to the podcast. I had a blast. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. So, ladies and gents, that would be it from this episode. I hope I provided some value to you. If so, remember that on Spotify and Apple, you can leave us up to a five-star review. This helps the show tremendously and doesn't cost you anything. Please also remember to subscribe so you do not miss any episodes when they come out. So, I will leave you now. I wish you an incredible rest of the week. Remember to surpass your limits and that winners are made in the darkest of times. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.